Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it with you, and we discuss it, getting the three sort of different perspectives from an expert, a pastor's kid, PK, and a newbie. Hello, I'm Joshua Lee, and today with me I've got Lachlan Miller. Hello. And Morgan Carter. Hello. Hi. How are we all doing? Great. Yeah, yeah doing do well. Nice do to be back for episode two. Yeah, no, it's very exciting to be back for episode two. Very keen to to jump jump in today and uh, keep on going through Matthew. So the the book that we are currently on is Matthew, and we're doing chapters three and four today. Welcome, Miller. Hello. How have you been? What's your, what's your role again? So I am the uh, so called expert on this podcast, which is a nice title. Not going to lie. Um, I am a pastor at Nawi Baptist Church and an SNBC graduate. Uh, which is why I think I am here as the expert. Um, <laughs> as for how I've been, goodness, it's been a, a big month and a half since we last recorded. I have gotten married in that time. I have started married life. And I assumed once I got married, stuff would settle down because you have all the prep before the wedding and you're like, but our two lives are becoming one and it should be simpler. We have been insanely busy since we got back from our honeymoon. Um, mm. So we're looking forward to hopefully next month actually having some time to relax. But as mm. for now, insanely busy with a whole bunch of really, really good things. Yes, a good busy, sort of manageable busy. Yeah, exactly. Mm, mm. And it's wild that um, last episode you said, I'll probably be married by the time by the time the second episode. And here we are, you are now. It's true. It's true. Excellent. So I'm, I'm Joshua. I'm the PK, pastor's kid, um, for those that don't know what PK stands for. I'm a filmmaker. I work in the film and TV industry. Um, yeah, for the past month, I've just been busy working, but also prepping for marriage and um, mm. prepping for my own wedding, which is in two weeks, which is wild. So I've been very busy juggling sort of everything from work to marriage to my my new apartment and everything. So it's been it's been pretty hectic at the moment um, for me, and I'm hoping it calms down. Mm. But as you've said, I don't I don't know if it will. But it just no, keeps getting busier and busier. busier and busier. But there will be, I, I, I think there will be, it will be a, a different busyness. Mm. Um, but very much looking for the honeymoon because I very much want a holiday. Definitely. <laughs> and I feel like it's important to point out that your future wife is actually our producer here. Yes. Is that important to point out? Like yes. give us some credit. Yes. Um, yes. Alyssa is, is one of the producers. She's also one of the um, co-founders of Mustard Seed films and mustard seed creative so I, myself and Alyssa were the founders of mustard seed films and mustard seed creative so the company um sort of behind this all yes and she's sort of busy behind the scenes she's not with us today just to pull back the curtain as she's currently on a feature but yes yeah so the two of us the two of us um in it together both like personal lives business lives everything everything's mixed Morgan how are you going yeah good 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 I'm Morgan I'm a healthcare worker in Victoria um, I've just been really enjoying this season, watching friends get married and enjoying bridal showers. I'm one of the bridesmaids at Josh's wedding coming mm-hmm. up. So it's been really exciting just to watch all that busy, um, mm. but it's so exciting. And, and your role on this, just for the, for those at home that are, have forgotten. Yeah. Tuning in for episode two and missed episode one for <laughs> yeah. some reason. I am the newbie. So a newer person to faith asking all the questions that I initially had and asking questions that I think new people would appreciate. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. 
Excellent. And as was reiterated last episode, yes, we have the roles. Yes, there's sort of titles, but that doesn't mean it's the be or end or. Mm-hmm. This is open for everyone and a, a open and honest discussion between everyone. It's not our say or the highway. It's uh, for us and everyone at home as well to explore and understand and really sort of take ownership over it over yourself. And, and we're all here just to dive deep and hopefully we learn something. So, yeah. Mm. Um, Morgan, what... Uh, What passage are we doing today? Uh, Today we are doing three and four. Today's passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapters three and four. If you haven't already, please pause now and read those chapters. In these chapters, we are introduced to John the Baptist, who baptizes Jesus before he encounters Satan in the desert. After passing this test, Jesus begins to preach and recruits his first disciples. All right, let's get back to the podcast. So that was Matthew 3 and 4. It was. What were our thoughts? What stood out? Oh, it's a, it's a, quite a, I don't know, meaty. Well, not meaty. It's, it's got lots of different parts, mm. different things happening. It's not just sort of one. Like, like last sort of episode and um, with the birth of Jesus, it was sort of all this is the birth of Jesus, this is them escaping and coming back and everything this, I feel like there's lots of little different things that are happening. It's not just sort of one thing. There are sort of bigger chunks with John mm. the Baptist, but there I feel sort of broken up into these all these little different things. Lots of little episodes. Yeah, episodes is a good to, a good way of um, a way of putting it. My my question is, we've um, sort of jumped straight into sort of the meat of of Jesus's life now, mm. where there's a big chunk that we've just skipped. If we're sort of following the story of Jesus, we've got his sort of birth very early years and now we're smack bang we're starting with with john and and jesus baptism Mm. that period of in between do we have any recounts of the period in between all this um not much to Mm. be honest uh most of the bible goes straight from jesus birth to 30 years later so from last episode we've had a 30 year time jump Mm. um one of the other gospels records a short episode of when jesus was around 12 but there's no real meat to what happened in those years as he was growing up. Hmm. And I guess that's sort of um, not as important as these these parts here. Mm. So sort of strip out any fat or anything that might get. We're using real meat analogies. This is weird. Yeah, I don't this, know, this, this is yeah, weird. I don't know why we got up to this. But, you know, we, you don't want to get cluttered in sort of, I'm sure it's important those years, but this is the real important part that, that that's really applicable to us rather than he grew up he went through adolescence he did all this stuff mm. as he was a child and teenager and now we're but now he's starting his ministry so this is like the bit where it's like ah this is where he starts preaching and starts being in the public eye and that's why we take particular notice mm. morgan any uh, observations as we read through three and four together yeah i have a question is this the first time that we hear from jesus personally in three. I mean, yes, in terms of the Gospel of Matthew, it's the first time Jesus has spoken. Yeah, so as soon as I started reading three, I just wanted to know who is John? Where did he come from? Um, yeah, just kind of came out of nowhere in three. Mm, who is John the Baptist? Yeah, I mean, he really does come out of nowhere in Matthew's mm. Gospel. Um, thankfully, we get his backstory, his origin story in the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter. Uh, we find out that his parents were too... Uh, descendants of the priestly line. His dad was actually one of the priests in the temple. And as with many of the female characters in the Bible, um, his mother was barren until she prayed to God and they, uh, God gave her a son. 
And then uh, that son becomes John. And we also find out later that John and Jesus are related because both of their mothers are relatives. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so we get both of these characters who are from the same family line almost. Mm. Um, uh, That's interesting. Mm. I, I had no idea. I just thought they were two di- different people and they just, mm. just so happened to, to come together. And he's not the author of the book of John, is he? No, I used to make that mistake when I was um, younger. You get to the bit in the Gospel of John where, um, spoiler alert, John the Baptist is beheaded and you're mm. like, how the heck did you write the rest of this? <laughs> the, yeah, the author of the Gospel of John is John the Disciple, who we mm. actually meet in chapter four, I think. Oh. Um, but for now, yeah, this is John the Baptist. And he, in, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's a bit of a what's the word I'm looking for? Eccentric. Eccentric. Um, crusader. Because it was because this was the period where there was lots of different rebel groups. Yes. Uh, like of Jewish rebel groups. Um, in the area. Was he, or am I misremembering this, was he part of those sort of extremists or? He was, from what we read, a religious extremist, mm. but in no way do we ever see him militarily involved in anything. Yeah. And no association with him is ever, to my knowledge, drawn between him and any of the rebel groups that were trying to rebel against Rome. Because mm. mm. I, I do remember hearing sort of something like at the start of just sort of Jesus's ministry, there was lots of rebel groups in the hills. And like that was the imagery that I got was there was lots of rebel groups in the hills and there was lots of these sort of little mini conflicts that were happening, which is sort of then emphasizes the, the you know, the point of why Je- it was important for Jesus to come because it was so, there's so much different conflicts um, between everyone and especially Rome. Something else that stood out for me in the start was the description of John mm. about the camel's hair and the leather belt. It sounds expensive and fancy, um, <laughs> how he's being described. Can I suggest this the exact opposite though? Yeah, it's interesting because, I, yeah, I got the opposite. Ah, I didn't. Oh, that's interesting. Because I think we're meant to get the image of this like wild man out by the banks of the Jordan River and everyone kind of looks at him strangely because he's – dressed not fantastically and he's eating things that are only like that are easily available but not like a general diet well there you go but i mean i think his appearance is important so you've picked up a really key thing there yeah Um, and just how they say the whole region um came to see mm. that just in my head the image of like interest and what is happening and wanting to see what's going on pretty cool Mm. and he's speaking out to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm. He's because he's baptizing people at this point. He is, and he's being belittled by the Sadducees and the um, Pharisees. They're not really agreeing with what he's doing. Is if I'm if I'm getting that that correct? Well, we know from later on in the gospel that they weren't a big fan of John, but their first interaction here, he almost just insults them out of nowhere. Like <laughs> it doesn't even have them doing anything yet. It's just the Sadducees and the Pharisees came up to where he was baptizing people and then suddenly John is on the offensive, mm. insulting them from like the very beginning. I sometimes feel like we, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees sometimes get a bad rap because um, they are sort of, I don't know, I, I've grown up to always see the Pharisees as the bad guys. Mm you know, being the religious leaders of, of the time. And especially you, you could use it in this day and age, you could use that as an insult for something like someone. If you don't, like within within the church um, mm. environment, you could call someone 
a Pharisee and they would instantly pick that up as like, you think I'm wrong or like there's this instant conflict with, with that. So it's, it's, it is interesting how there is no sort of, is there context to why he's all of a sudden just yelling at them? Well, I think we get context from his insult actually. Ah. He's basically calling them hypocrites, right? Yeah. He's saying you're a brood of vipers. Um, the axe is ready to be hit at the root of the tree. God is not happy with you and the way you're conducting yourself um, and you refuse to repent or believe my message. Mm. And this seems to be his main insult there. Yeah, and this is sort of, um, in a way, is the prelude to then what Jesus is doing mm. and then it was Jesus' mission and then how he's interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the time. Um, is it probably important now to properly define those groups? Yes. Of what Pharisees and That's Sadducees what I was are. Ask. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> Just because we keep saying the words, and yeah. to I assume some people, that doesn't mean much. No, especially for I mean, for me, I I always knew what Pharisees were. I never knew what Sadducees were mm. until most recently. Yeah. So Pharisees were sort of the very well-known local religious people. So like every synagogue you went to would have a few Pharisees there and they were really loved by the people because of how involved they were in the local synagogues and in the local communities. But kind of their defining feature is to make sure that they kept God's law, they added a whole bunch of extra laws. And so that way, as long as they were obeying all their extra laws, they would never come close to a misstep or not obeying by accident one of God's laws. And so they put a bigger religious burden on everyone but they were still very popular in the local communities because of how involved they were in the local communities. Whereas the Sadducees are sort of more your religious elite. So they worked and served in the temple of God. There was a lot of removal between them and the general people. Um, and they're fairly well known to be pro-Roman or at least okay with the Romans, which meant that was just an extra layer of uh, distrust that some of the people would have had towards them. Uh, but both very well-respected and well, like very knowledgeable, well-educated groups within Judaism. Yeah, that's really good to know. <laughs> um, I, I want to return to Morgan's point of um, what John looked like, like his physical appearance, because mm. um, I think we're meant to look at him and see a very clear link. And that link is pointed out elsewhere uh, in many ways, but we're meant to be looking at John and thinking, hmm, he seems pretty similar to that Elijah guy from the Old Testament. And mm. I think that is something we are meant to see in his appearance, in his message, and in the prophecies that Matthew here directly applies to him. Um, do either of you know who Elijah is from the Old Testament? Josh, do you remember your Sunday school stories? I This song instantly comes to memory of like these are the days of Elijah. Um, no, anyone? anyone? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we went to different Sunday schools. Yeah, um, yeah, that song, if anyone remembers that song. Um, that song instantly comes to, to my head. Other than that, no, I, I, I knew he, it's a prophet. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Yeah, um, fair enough. Probably jog, like, it'll probably jog my memory, mm. but off the top of my head, no. If I tell you his like most famous Old Testament moment, it might jog a few memories. Mm. Uh, Elijah is the prophet that had the big showdown on the mountain against the prophets of Baal. Does that ring any bells? Where the enemy prophets, well, Elijah was like, hey, my God's the real God and we'll prove it. We'll both build altars and whoever's God sends down fire to burn up the altar um, is the true God. 
And so the prophets of Baal spend like a whole day fasting and praying and nothing happens. And Elijah stands there and insults them and is like, <laughs> what, is your God asleep? Maybe you need to yell louder. <laughs> Meanwhile, he then gets his whole altar drenched in water and God being the true God just sends fire from heaven to light it up. And that's kind of one of his big, most famous stories mm. from the Old Testament. No, I don't. I don't really, don't really remember that. But it, 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 I mean, anything from the Old Testament is epic. Yeah. It's just epic. All right, there are two prophets on a mountain going to fight it out, <laughs> basically. And Elijah won. <laughs> yeah, like, he's one of. The, when you think Old Testament prophets, mm. he's like the big one. Mm. He did some of the biggest acts and signs. He tried his best to direct Israel back to God in a time when people were not that keen to be directed back. Mm. Uh, he's that classic name of, you hear it and mm. you go, I know about it. But if you were to ask me then, as, as we just discovered, who he actually was, I'm like, ah, oh, I, I know the name. <laughs> I know the, the buzzword. Yeah, so that's Elijah. We're meant to look at John and see Elijah. Um, there was this um, expectation in Judaism uh, based primarily on Malachi 4.5, which said that before the Messiah would come back, Elijah would return to pave the way for him. And so people on the lookout for who is this Elijah figure? Where is he? Hmm. Is he coming back? And we find out later in the gospel, Jesus explicitly says in chapter 11 that John was Elijah. Ah. And so we're meant to start seeing the similarity here. Yep. And then it's just confirmed to us later of this was the Elijah that was expected mm. who preempted the return of the Messiah. Is that why it says, but after me comes one who is more powerful? Mm. Yeah, John's whole message was, yeah. you need to repent, but I'm not the final thing. I'm not the Messiah you're waiting for. Um, I mean, I found it interesting reading through in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, what John has to say, which is 3, 2, John's message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So that's the message of John. But then if you jump forward to 4.17, this is what Jesus starts preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mm. Notice any maybe exact similarities between their messages? Coincidence. (laughs) And so John's really pointing to Jesus. Yeah, He's come in preparation for Jesus and they've got the same message. Mm. And it it sort of, there's a lot of like, you got to really humble yourself. To be, to be the one that's saying there is someone else that's coming. Mm. Like I am paving the way, but I am not that person. Like you could easily, I mean, as humans, if, if we were greedy, we could easily be like, no, nah, it's me. And I'm going to take all this power, all this stuff for myself, see it as a personal gain. But to humble yourself and be like, no, 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 I am just the servant here. Mm. That for someone else to come and, you know, like we said, spoilers, he then eventually, you know, gets killed for mm. his, his beliefs and, and everything. But that, that dedication and being so humble to be like, I am not, this is not about me. This is never about me. This is, this is, about, this is about what I'm saying, but it's not about me. Um, it's quite, it's quite amazing because amazing, amazing. Um, there's, you know, with, I, I'm sure there are people in this day and age that would, would, uh, would do the same, but, you know, you can easily see that being swung the other way of personal gain mm. rather than, um, you know, sort of giving it all for God and Jesus. Yeah, I feel like he definitely knew that with saying things like whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Mm. Really knew that. And then we get to the bit where Jesus comes to get baptised by him. So we've just said about John knows he's just step one. He knows someone greater is coming. He even explicitly says that. 
but then Jesus comes to get baptized by him. Mm. Mm. What are our thoughts about that? Um, the funny thought I have, <laughs> do, do, could, could you imagine like John, like got Jesus, you're in the river. And the first thought that goes in my mind is don't drop him. <laughs> Don't drop them. <laughs> don't do like, just go, Don't stuff this yeah, up. Yeah, don't just stuff it. Everyone's watching. Don't stuff this up. This is the one baptism I need to get right. Yeah, it's like, oh, there you go. But in saying that, I'm sure filled with the Holy Spirit, it was, he. It, there was no hesitation. There was nothing like, this was right. This is what I'm doing. Like, I'm sure there was no, um, you know, any of those funny thoughts I just had of. You sure there was no hesitation? Oh, that's a good question. Was there? Maybe where it says, but uh, John tried to deter him. Yes, that's right. Mm, that's a little bit of hesitation from yeah, John. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Bit nervous. <laughs> mm. Yeah, all right. Well, okay. <laughs> so, sorry to contradict you. No, 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 no. No, but but that then sort of interestingly enough then sh- then reaffirms every sort of other than Jesus every biblical character has to some extent, this hesitant, like it immediately sort of, I get my thought process goes to Moses, his huge amount of hesitancy um, of wanting to, you know, go what God's instructed him to do. Like it re, I think this reaffirms that all these biblical characters are human and Mm. are like me and are hesitant and like, is this the right thing to, right thing to do? Because I know I would also have that, especially as someone who needs, um, other people's um, affirmation that I'm doing the right thing. I would want. I would sort of want this if I was. I was John. So in saying that, it's actually other than Jesus. It's actually quite nice to hear that people are hesitant, mm. and it's not just they knew what to do. They may have known what to do, but they were they were hesitant. They were they were wanting to know if it was the right thing to do. To be fair, we also get some hesitancy from Jesus later on, mostly in John's gospel, but we will see some of it in Matthew. Mm. Of there's there's definitely a distinct human element there, um, but I think John's hesitancy here is actually grounded in his knowledge of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Like he knows he's not worthy to untie his sandal, and now he's being asked to baptize him. Yeah, and I like that it only takes in um, fifteen that it's one sentence, mm. and then John consented. So you just needed that one bit of affirmation from him, mm. and then he's decided. Mm. Which I always wonder if it was if it is that easy, like within the one sentence, mm. like is it's written that way? But was it was yeah. it that, or was it? I don't know. It's a fair question. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll never know. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Did Matthew decide to just write one line of he consented instead of writing the half hour conversation of Jesus be like, no, John, I need to be baptized. Like, We're doing this. This is part <laughs> of the idea. This is part of the mission. This is part of me relating to my people. Mm. Mm. John's like, nah, man, I can't. He's like, I'm not worthy. And Jesus is like, well, you hurry up and baptize me. I'm in the water. Come on. (laughs) Where did this notion of baptisms come from? Because especially reading this, all of a sudden we're baptizing people. Mm. Was this a call from God of this is, you know, um, especially from like John of going, this is is what I'm asking you to do. Um, Did John just come up with it himself? Like, do we know the origins of why what seems like just sort of if we're only sort of reading Matthew and from the, from the start of the book to where we're up to now, all of a sudden we're dunking people into, into water. As far as from? we know, Math, uh, sorry, John 
is the origin of baptizing people. Mm. Um, there was another sect of Judaism that did similar water purification rites, but it wasn't quite baptism. And so it seems like the actual origin of this was John. And for whatever reason it was chosen, I think the idea of being put into the water symbolizes you being consumed by death and sin, but then rising out of it symbolizes that you've passed through that unscathed because of your repentance. And so it's a very symbolic thing. Yes. Yes. And I know I love the symbolism of it, of the washing, the washing away and coming up anew. Um, it's very powerful. To sort of link it back to last week is there was this kind of move in the early church where people thought that Jesus became divine at his baptism. Um, the Holy Spirit enters him. It's clearly the start of his ministry. So people are like, ah, oh, this is the point where he became divine. But the reason the early church decided to start celebrating Christmas itself was to actually show that Jesus was divine from the very, very beginning. And so while he was faithful, while he receives the Holy Spirit here and starts his ministry here, this is not the beginning of divinity or good godhood. That's something Jesus was the whole way through. You can see why they may have thought that. Mm. But yeah, no, that definitely sort of that definitely makes makes sense in my mind of it's from the very beginning. It's not not halfway through, it's mm. straight from the beginning. So um, I feel like we said a few decent things about John the Baptist there. I think we did. I Got think. some thoughts? Yeah. And now on to chapter four and more just sort of specifically on on Jesus and what he's doing. Mm. The temptation of Jesus. Now this Ooh. one, this one's a very like, um, I don't know. I really find this one very interesting, sort of epic, sort of big, especially because I grew up with a comic book version of the Bible. So mm. I had like a lot of like visual, like the visualization of this was very sort of big. It was very easy for them to draw a lot of like, the devil and the temptations and, and everything. But I also had another comic and I've been trying to find um, out what they were, but there were these, the comics sort of um, were about these sort of kids. And then it was sort of like futuristic. There was, there was this sort of like evil guy who was meant to represent sort of the devil. There was this more sort of savior sort of superhero sort of character, but they mm. would, sort of visualize also like biblical stories and one of them was this one was this one and they really sort of made this one very epic mm. in sort of its its nature and for me the temptation of Jesus always stands out in my brain because I have this big imagery of him being like sort of swept around in these puffs of smoke and like are you being tempted by this and this you know this and these like crumble like you know that you could rule over all these cities and then like he says no and like it all gets crumbled like like the big imagery of of this and i'm sure it's very much different mm. to what these artists were imagining but for me um i've got all these different sort of touchstones of of why this is important to me can i just jump in there because you keep referring to it as the temptation of Jesus. And I was reading a commentary during the week of the theologian who really, really hated it being called the temptation of Jesus because uh. it suggests a very just negative experience. Um, so mm. when we look at other bits of the Bible, like James 1.13, it says God does not tempt anyone. And then we see at the beginning of this passage that Jesus was led by the spirit, so by God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And so, yes, Jesus is being tempted by Satan, but this is God testing Jesus. And so we know from the Bible that God will often test people. And I think test is probably a better title for Mm. this section of Jesus is tested in the wilderness rather than calling it Jesus is tempted. Because while Satan attempts that, this is first and foremost a, a test by God. Yes. Now the question is, why would why would God test his own son? If God is also Jesus, why would why why test why test us why go through this whole rigmarole of of proving? Well, when we think about God testing us or God testing other peoples, for instance, the the famous Genesis twenty two story mm-hmm. of God testing Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his son. Um, those testing moments are not for God. Mm. He knows the result. Um, It might be similar to a teacher who sets a test for a student and they know this student is bright. They Mm. know this student's going to get 100%. So the teacher is setting them this test not because they want to know the result, but because they want the student to have the experience of going through this. They want them to have the experience of studying hard and the experience of sitting for an hour in a room and answering questions, which will all be helpful for them and their personal development and growth going forward. Mm. And so in the same way that in Genesis 22, it is Abraham who grows as a person and his relationship with God and his trust in God moving forward. It's the same way with Jesus here of um, Jesus is tested for his growth, for him to be able to stand up to Satan and say, no, I'm not taking the easy path out. I'm taking the hard one. This is a moment for Jesus's growth, Mm. Mm. which feels weird to talk about Jesus growing, but I mean, last week, did we not talk about Jesus growing up from a small child? Like there, there is growth that happens there. Yes. Yeah. And if he, if he came to be fully man mm. and like us, like, like how we need to be tested, he should also be tested. Mm. And in the same time, it's also proving to us that he can't be tempted. He can't be tempted by, mm. by, this, by these sins or by the, by the devil or these sort of earthly things mm. he's above all that and it's for us as the reader here it's proving those points because mm. we could easily just not have that and just sort of assume that he's not going to be tempted mm. um, or led astray but this is proving to us here, yeah. here and now and especially at the sort of the beginning of the book too um, that he won't because it, it's an interesting one of uh, sort of thinking about the, the practical element for us. We get tempted all the time mm. with various different things in life. It could be we could list a whole number of, of different things that we could be tempted by. But you know, for us, I we as well as this for me proves, you know, Jesus can't be tempted. Um, it's also like um, for us, we have we have struggles of temptations, um, and they will, that will happen throughout our entire lives. I, for, I mean, for at least for me, I don't think they will ever go away. Mm. We can try, but it's you know, f- the application for me here is that we got to stay strong in in our beliefs and in what we believe in, and 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 especially for those around us, and trying not only for helping, like not be tempted by our own temptations, but trying to help others not fall into temptation, not fall into sin. Mm. Um, for me, that's like just from that little bit, that's the, that's the sort of the takeaway on the applicational thing that I sort of try and put towards my own life. And it's always good to apply God's word. Mm, it is, it is. And it's hard. It is, it, is, it is hard, especially for things that you don't think are temptations. Mm. 
and then later you're like, oh, it was. Especially, I think, I think for me, for me, like if I was to, if I was to sort of like sort of unpack this personally, money I think is a big one, and not in the fact that I'm greedy, more in the fact that I like stability. <laughs> so if if that makes sense, so I am always tempted by this idea that I need stability, which means I need a lot of money, rather than trusting that God's got my back mm. and that I need to sort of let go of those those things and just actually trust that rent will be paid that I will get that my invoices will get paid that he he's got me as I go through these different wildernesses um and I can very much get bogged down and like and stressed and like I've just paid for a car service that I thought was going to be cheaper, but now, and I've got no money, what are we going to do? And like, you know, you go down this rabbit hole rather than just trusting that God's got you. Mm. Don't worry. You will, you'll be fine. It may be a bit rough. It may be, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you'll be fine. Just you wait till next episode where we do Sermon on the Mount and mm. we literally cover the passage about do not worry. I feel like what you just unpacked is spot on in what Jesus is going to teach in a few chapters. Oh, uh, yeah. And Alyssa can attest to it. There are multiple times where Alyssa has said to me, give it all to God because mm. he's got this. Don't worry, Josh. And then it's all fine. And mm. I'm like, ah, I should have just. <laughs> I just put my trust because because it is it, it it is that it becomes all fine and then I kick myself because I'm like yeah, it was fine I'm just just being dramatic <laughs> you never <laughs> Morgan what stood out to you as we read through chapter four um the first part that stood out was the after fasting for forty days and forty nights he was mm. hungry Fair. like I would be starving <laughs> like it just stood out to me he was hungry. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's like starving. Of, yeah, it's of course, yeah, of course. Is there a significance for 40 days and 40 nights? Um, there is. As with most things in the Bible, <laughs> there's always some sort of deeper hidden meaning. Um, so Jesus going out into the wilderness is very similar to the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus when they go out into the wilderness for 40 years. And so Jesus mm. does that on a smaller scale because he doesn't have 40 years. Yeah. But he goes out for 40 days and 40 nights. and Israel really was tested by God in the wilderness in their 40 years and failed. Like the mm -hmm. whole reason they were out there for 40 years instead of going straight to the promised lands is because they just kept failing. Whereas Jesus goes out for 40 days and 40 nights and then passes with flying colors. Like this is the true Israel. This mm -hmm. is the person who will succeed where Israel has failed as a nation. And I love this, this back and forth between linking Old Testament, New Testament, Old mm. Testament, New Testament. It's, you don't think it. You don't think it's there, and then bam, we've got another link back to back to the Old Testament and what they were what they were doing, and the parallels of of everything. Mm. Well, I mean, speaking of those parallels, let's let's do another uh, Old Testament parallel. Um, Genesis three, where Satan tempts Adam and Eve, mm. um, and this temptation of Jesus are strikingly similar, <laughs> if I may say so myself. Um, so, like. Firstly, in Genesis, Satan appeals to the physical appetite, like the good lookingness of the apple. Well, not apple fruit, but mm -hmm. we all think it's an apple. Yeah. Um, and then in this passage, the first temptation is the physical appetite of you must be starving. Turn these stones into food and you can eat. And so there's there's the first similarity. Then, then he goes to the desire for personal gain. So Genesis 3, it's about obtaining the knowledge to be like God. It here it is... Um, obtaining like the ability to jump off a temple and have God catch you. Um, now that's significant because 
a lot of Jews were expecting the Messiah to like just come down out of heaven and land in the temple courts. And so it's like the personal gain of just appearing before all your people as the grand Messiah mm. would have been pretty tempting. And then the third thing in Genesis 3, um, he promises like the easy path to obtaining knowledge rather than working hard and obtaining it yourself. It's just take one bite and you will get everything you've ever wanted. In the same way here, um, he tempts Jesus by trying to say, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, something that you're about to have to go through a long, hard road to acquire from me. Um, I will just give them to you if you bow down. So it's the, the really easy path to something. Mm, mm. And so in both Genesis 3 and here in Matthew 4, we have like the similar tactic used by Satan. Um, again, I think making that parallel to how Adam and Eve failed this temptation. They gave into it. But here, Jesus, again, is the true Adam, the the better Israel, the one who won't fall for this temptation. Sort of, there's a... Scary thing of the devil was quoting scripture. Oh yeah, nice one. Because because the devil could just you could sort of say anything, but then to mm. quote scripture and be like, "This is this is what this says." You're like, "How do you know that?" <laughs> like, yeah, you're not allowed to read the Bible. No, what? No, you can't be like that's cheating. No, don't do that. Mm. Well, in Genesis three, Satan also quotes God, but in both situations, he does it a little bit wrong. Like mm. he quotes. Genesis 3, he misquotes God slightly. Um, And then here again, he actually misquotes that verse from the Bible slightly. Not enough to make a huge difference, but enough for us to be like, hmm, there's something going on here. My big takeaway from this is the importance of quality Bible teaching. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen throughout history, you can make the Bible say almost anything, right? Mm. Like you can go to a bunch of people, you can find a verse and you can try and convince them to do almost anything you want to achieve. But the importance of correctly understanding scripture, corrected good interpretation, the importance of good Bible teaching in a church. I think the fact that Satan can quote the Bible is kind of a prime example of why it is so important that we understand God's word correctly. Most definitely. Most definitely. So um, what we see clearly in this passage is also the reality of spiritual warfare. There are spiritual forces. Um, Any experiences or knowledge of spiritual warfare from the table? Yeah, I think I definitely have, hence coming to faith, um, having going through quite some hard things in life and then having horrendous nightmares. And in those nightmares I'd hear, um, don't worry, come home quite frequently. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure if it was, yeah, a spiritual attack in my sleep, but then something saying come back. It was a bit weird and I'd do things like go for prayer walks and it'd be really bad weather and then I'd just sit in it and the ocean would go calm or just things that mm. happened like so, there were signs and yeah mm. and then once I pushed into it it was yeah yeah I yeah. think that's a bit of a spiritual warfare yeah and I think it's all personal it's all personal it's all yeah. going to be individual for the mm. no no two things are going to be the same mm. I have one experience that if you allow me the liberty I was just going to share course. a quick story from um, one of my experiences. Uh, before I share it though, I think in general, um, I remember reading a quote where it was talking about how Satan in the Western world decided that his best strategy was to convince people he didn't exist. And so I think he's very, very subtle when mm. it comes to any type of spiritual warfare, especially in the Western world. Because for us, any evidence of the supernatural would really strengthen our faith in God rather than doing the opposite. And so he's done quite a genius strategy of just like influencing people in many, many ways, but doing so a bit more subtly. But Mm. I had experience um, a little while ago, um, which 
just so parallels some of the things in this passage that I thought I would share it. Um, I was pulled aside by um, a youth at some point who said, hey, I tried to become a Christian tonight. I tried to pray the prayer to be saved. And for years and years now, I've had these voices in my head and um, I know they're of dead people, but I mostly just ignore them. But as I tried to pray that prayer tonight to become a Christian, they screamed me down and I wasn't able to pray it. And me sitting here, uh, conservative Christian upbringing was like, what is going on? This is, this is strange. Um, so we went and I decided to pray for them because that just, just makes sense, right? They mm. are trying to become a Christian. And so I, like, it was a quality prayer, if I do say so myself, but it was a very like airy fairy, like Jesus, you're all powerful. Stop these evil voices. Allow this person to become a Christian in your name. Um, I finished praying this prayer and they looked up at me with, um, I want to say terror in the, uh, their eyes. And they're like, the voices screamed in my head louder than I've ever heard ever. And they're screaming that you're a liar and that you're wrong. And I was like, well, this is a little intense. Mm. And so I pulled open my Bible and look, I've been to Bible college. I know the Bible fairly well. And my mind went blank. I was like, I don't know where to go with the Bible. And then Ephesians 6 just came to my mind, which is the armor of God. And so I sat down and read this passage out loud and then prayed kind of the distinct elements of God's armor onto this young person. And afterwards they looked up at me with like tears in their eyes and like the voices are gone. Like it's just absolute silence in my head right now. Mm. And I found it so telling that my prayer didn't quite do anything, but like Jesus in this passage, who goes to the word of God, he quotes the old Testament Deuteronomy three Mm -hmm. times in rebuttal against Satan in the same way I had then just read the Bible aloud. My prayer had done nothing but reading God's word, reading God's word powerfully had silenced all opposition to it. Mm. And I think like I'm still processing that experience and what Mm. it means, but I just found beautiful symmetry of Jesus uses the word of God, uses the Bible to counter Satan and his works. Mm. And in my one experience of something similar happening, it was the Bible that was powerful in that moment. It was God's word that silenced opposition. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, amazing sort of happened to you because especially, you know, halfway when you're like, you know, you, you've prayed and it got worse. Mm. And then what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you're just sitting in this moment like, do you just not yell at them like be, like do you do the whole my thing crucifix? Why have I not gone yeah about? like but, but do you go be gone like say mm. like do you then to, like do you have the confidence to like look directly in their eyes and go be gone satan mm. like do that do that whole thing and try and expel or like what you did go to the you know go to the word you know not your word but god's yeah. word because my words were doing squat mm. Mm. but god's word as we see Jesus use here over and over again to rebut and rebuke Satan, mm. it's powerful. It is. It's it amazing. Is. Yeah, recommendable. Mm, it's it, it's interesting how you say it, in this like the Western world versus sort of Eastern world, mm. um, and how different. I I used to know a guy who do a lot of uh, mission work in the Middle East, and he said it is very different to here because you would be putting the like the armor of God on whenever you left home mm. it was your the spiritual battles you would have is the minute that your foot stepped outside your door you are like this is a war zone spiritually 
and that's how he des- that's how he would describe it as like you were walking down the s- down the street and you need to be prepared for like whatever spiritual battle might and, and it is interesting how for how different than that is for us in the western world mm. um yeah a lot more subtle yes mm. which i think is a genius strategy don't get me wrong oh yeah yeah well, I think with me, like I was saying, mine's in my dreams. So mm. I've gone to church and told people about these horrendous night terrors and nightmares. And they're like, oh, it's just a spiritual attack. <laughs> and I'm like, pardon? <laughs> but it's something that you can't control. Once you go to sleep, you don't have control over that. So it's in those forms. Mm. Like mm. subtle, but you can't control it a lot yeah. of the time. Mm. Yeah. And it's all going to be delivered delivered to you personally. Mm. And, you know, it's just, just for you. Mm. Scary. So just like there was a big time jump at the beginning of chapter three of 30 years, um, as we move to verse 12 from verse 11, there's also another time jump. Um, This time of about a year or so, um, which I think is important to point out because you see verse 12 starts with uh, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. Now, mostly we see Jesus's ministry as three years. It's like a year of obscurity, a year of popularity, and then a year of increasing rejection leading up to his crucifixion. Um, the Gospel of Matthew seems to skip that first year of obscurity because as we find if we read through John, for instance, that he has a lot of chapters about that first year and it's not, towards, it's not until towards the end of that first year that John is put into prison. Mm. Um, and even later than that, that John is actually put to death. And so it seems that we've got another time jump here of about a year or so. Do we... Do we know why Matthew's done that, or is it? It's just that's just how it was. I think it's just an editing choice. Yeah, for whatever reason, he went. Hey, the important thing now is to dive into the year where Jesus was popular and chatting to people and engaging with them well, and then get the really in-depth version of how he became increasingly rejected mm. all the way to the crucifixion. Yeah. He just saw the last two years of Jesus's ministry as by far the most important. Yeah putting emphasis on the important parts. It also is helpful to keep that in mind as Jesus calls his first disciples because he met all these people or at least a huge chunk of them within his first year of ministry. So when he rocks up to the seashore and sees Simon and his brother Andrew and calls them to follow him, Mm. at least in this particular story in Matthew, there's the context of they knew Jesus. They'd actually been following him for a while but this is the moment where they left everything behind to full-time uh, commit to following him. That was going to be my question because if this is a if this is a year jump, mm. what's Jesus been doing? Like if this is the start of his ministry and his preaching, um, what's he been doing? So he so people were sort of following. Mm. So read the Gospel of John. You will get a much ah. better look at his first year of ministry with <laughs> his few friends around him doing smaller things, doing Mm. his first miracles, um, starting to gathering a following. Mm. And Matthew just jumps towards the end of that story and goes, people are now ready to follow him wholeheartedly Mm. and let's jump into what he was teaching to the crowds. Yeah. Which is where we'll end up in next episode. Yeah. um, Need a a section in the Bible where it goes, see see John for (laughs) this section. I mean, my Bible actually says that, but (laughs) it is a huge, chunky biblical theology study bible so it's a bit helpful do we know why john had been put in prison um we do from john's gospel which is that um the king so king herod um he he was a dodgy man 
Um, and basically his wife was also particularly dodgy. And John said that their marriage basically wasn't valid in the eyes of God because I can't remember exactly why it was like some type of adultery situation um, and basically insulted her. And so the king put him in prison. Yeah, right. It's going to make it like off with your head. I'm actually, that's what no, happened. That's legitimately that happened. Is what happened. Too soon. That's what happened. Too soon. <laughs> 2,000 years later. Josh, you can't say that. I love the, um, from the time, from that time on Jesus began to preach. Mm. And then it says that line. I'd love to know what else he was saying. Like I wish that there was more. Mm. So I feel like he would be saying a lot more than just that. Mm. Once again, wait for next week. Oh. <laughs> Sermon on the Mount. I feel like there's there's a lot that Jesus is saying. Yeah. But I think it's important to point out his miracles here. So like other gospels like John, for instance, which I just keep referencing today, just make really, really big deals about Jesus's, especially early miracles. Um, Matthew sort of mentions them, but doesn't spend a lot of time on them. But I think they're important nonetheless, because the only reason we would believe what Jesus is about to say or what he was preaching is if he proved he was from God and therefore these teachings were from God. Mm. And he proves that by doing these miracles. Like they are signs for a reason. They prove the authenticity and validity of his message. Because mm. mm. this um, sort of this, this year is that proving who he is before we get to the rejection of, of who he is. Mm. Mm. And I always, I always have this question going to the first disciples. Did they as it, like... Did they as easily just get up and go as it said? Like, or was there a bit more hesitancy back and forth? Should we do this? Or was it quite literally, cool, we're dropping what we're doing, we're going. Mm. Um, that always sort of goes around in my my brain. Because in one instance, you know, it speaks to um, how how we should get up and go and have that trust. But in the other hand, I always go, there are moments where I hesitate on stuff. So would would have they hesitated as well? I think the fact that verse 20 says at once they left their nets and followed him shows that when Jesus asked them by the the Sea of Galilee to follow him, mm. they at once went for it. Went for it. Like are there, there are definitely points in all the gospels where you're like, you know, there's backstory missing. You know, there's moments where there was probably a longer conversation between Jesus and John the Baptist. But the fact that Matthew would very specifically write at once mm. makes me think that there wasn't much hesitation on behalf of these men when they went, Jesus, we are going to follow you from yeah. now on. When I first read um, this chapter, when quite new to faith, I had the whole passage of 23 to 25 highlighted. The mm. Jesus heals the sick, the whole thing, because it was something for me at the time with so many questions um, and wanting to know. I kind of wanted proof and like actual reason to believe and follow. Um, yeah, that whole section stood out to me. Just imagining him going through Galilee and getting people, um, healing things as big as these medical things, just like the lines of people mm. and like what that would have been like to see. And then when you go into a church, having people pray over medical things and healing and it just really resonated with me, that whole section as a new Christian. Why, why did it resonate? I think it was the proclaiming the good news part. Um, I'd had so many people try to tell me that and like talking to me about that. And mm. it was just something that actually was like proof in the word of what they were telling me. Mm -hmm. um, and just the, yeah, I don't know. 
not sure why, and just bringing people to him. Mm. So you bringing broken or hurt people into the church or into faith as mm-hmm. well was just something that really helped me in the early stages of mm. faith. Yeah. Mm. I always just think every time I open up the Bible, I always think that's amazing that um, it'll speak to every single different person individually and that's what they needed. Mm. It's uh, jumping off the back of your comment about how well put together it's been. I thought at the end of this episode I would uh, just briefly dive into the structure of Matthew um, Mm -hmm. because that is something that we could have discussed last week but sort of ran out of time and I figured it is worthwhile discussing of Matthew's gospel has been very cleverly put together. And so um, there's kind of like three obvious sections in the gospel of Matthew. Um, In 4.17, which is in our passage, it says, from that time on Jesus began to dot, dot, dot. And that phrase appears again in chapter 16. And so this phrase sort of splits the gospel in three parts. And so everything up until 4.17 seems to be showing us the person of Jesus. Um, From 4.17 onwards, we start getting kind of the proclamations of Jesus and what he's doing. And then from 16, where we see this phrase again, we start to really see the sufferings of Jesus. And so that is one way that we can divide up the gospel of Matthew is into these three stages. Uh, But there's actually another way you could divide up Matthew, which I think is very, very clever. So next week, we're going to dive into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, At the end of that sermon, there's this phrase that says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, dot, 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 and then goes on to say, like, explain what he does after that. But that phrase appears five times, and it's always at the end of a chunk of teaching. Mm. So if you divided the Gospel of Matthew up, grabbing those five big sermons or five chunks of teaching, the flow you end up getting is narrative, sermon, narrative, sermon, narrative, sermon, the whole way through. And so one to four that we've now looked at in total is the narrative section. And then next time, five to seven is kind of the first of five sermons. And then after that, we get chapters eight and nine, which is back to some narrative, back to some explanations of what Jesus is up to. Then another sermon of his, then a narrative, then a sermon, then a narrative, then a sermon. And the fact that it's five sermons or five clear divisions, um, a lot of people point back that Matthew's almost writing his his new Pentateuch. Like the first five books of the Old Testament, the Jews saw as like the most important things in the world. And Matthew, by dividing his gospel up in this way, is actually like, no, here are the five more important books, Mm. the five more important divisions as we explore Jesus's life. And so we've taken that vague structure of narrative sermon, narrative sermon, and that is from here on out how we're dividing up our episodes mostly. Mm. One week looking at a teaching of Jesus and then diving into the few chapters of Jesus going about doing his thing, doing Mm. his ministry, and then back into a sermon of Jesus, then back into him doing his ministry all the way up until we get to the final narrative, which is the Easter story. I mean, my final thought slash takeaway from this section of Matthew is a bit of the structure, a bit I just talked about, but these early four chapters of Matthew are just setting up who is this Jesus. We last time had his birth story and how that unfolded. This time we get him starting his ministry, starting to heal people, calling disciples, and his big showdown with Satan in the desert. And so we're just starting to discover this person of Jesus and why we would then believe anything he has to say as we move on to other bits of the Bible. And I'm Mm. just always going to appreciate as a Christian understanding Jesus better. And every time I read through even any bit of the Bible, but particularly the early stages of Matthew, you just see new elements of who 
this guy is, who this Jesus character is, um, for us to take away? I just think when I have friends that come to me who want to or they say, I really want to read the Bible, this just reinforces why I think Matthew is a really good place to start. Um, mm. I started in John and I wish I'd started in Matthew. Um, I think it's just, yeah, a really good foundational place to start and understand. Um, so that's what I'm taking away as we go through it. Mm. Yeah, it's really mm. interesting. Great. Yeah. Oh, that's really that's really cool. And I think that's a, a great one for anyone that's listening and watching, that if you mm. want to start anywhere or you have people wanting to start, yeah. this is, like what you're saying, a great place to start. Mm. So for for me, it's it's all those little sort of takeaway teaching moments of and and being able to ap- apply it to your own life. So like a clear one's the temptation um, in the wilderness and and how we go through different wildernesses and um, what we are tempted and how we go through those battles and um, how we do that alone, but how we also you know do that in community as well, um, as as well as the sort of the you know the baptisms and um where they come so where they come from where that the significance behind it um but also when you see other people getting sort of baptized around you how that's as you as 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 a participant or as observer um how that's important for you to be in their lives um, and how you're part of their journey as well. This is, as well as this is an individual journey, this is also a community journey where we need, you know, um, the brothers and sisters in Christ where we can like build ourselves up and we can be there for, for everyone. Um, I think that's, that's very, very important. And, and, you know, that proving of, of who Jesus is before we get to sort of his, his big teachings. Um, yeah. But I think that the, the the temptations is always a big one for me, of like an e- and an easy one that I always sort of look in my own life and how that that applies for me. So as we just sort of close up this episode, let me just uh, end in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray and I I thank that we are uh, the three of us are able to come here together and that we are able to just sit in Your Word, that we're able to unpack it, and we get to hear what everyone's different takes, and we're able to learn a bit and and hear everyone's stories and experiences, Lord. And I and I thank I thank Lachlan and I thank Morgan for for coming and just sharing the, those experiences. Um, with us and, and I thank everyone at home that's able to to listen and hope that and pray that the, uh, everyone gets something out of this Lord and as we go on the weeks ahead that you are w- with us Lord and that you are with any of our struggles whether that be temptations or anything that we go through life Lord that you are there with us in Jesus mighty name I pray amen Amen. 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 And thank you for joining us on this week. This was an excellent um, sort of sort of deep dive. I wish we had more time just to keep mm. keep chatting because it always seems to escape us. But thank you for for joining. I hope you got um, something something out of it. Leave a comment uh, below uh, if you anything that you got out of it. Especially if you've got questions, we want uh, any sort of questions to come in because. Uh, we do look at it and we will try and answer those questions in due time. This um, podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts and keep up to date with our socials because we'll be keep on posting and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you guys for, for joining us. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye. A Mustard Seed Creative Production.